S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Sammy Rye. We're doing this live. It's 3.40 a.m. on the Thursday. The podcast should have been out two years ago. So we're going to do this in one take. We're just going to go ahead and swing it over school. We're going to talk about 1922 on Netflix. We're going to talk about Stephen King's movie, Mr. Harrington's phone. We're going to talk about Attack on Killer Clowns and the video game that might be coming out based on that classic film. We're also going to talk about a lot with Fortnite Creative. That's where I've been. I think I've put in about um, at least eight hours just today on my last creative map. I feel like I'm getting so close. There's just a few finishing touches. I actually thought I would be able to get it done tonight. Um, but then I was like, I gotta do the podcast. And I was pushing and pushing and pushing. It's a heat wave or something going on. Air conditioner in the house not working. Daughter got a big knot in her hair. Super dad gotta go ahead. I gotta take care of all of it. Fixing the Fortnite map, taking care of my baby girl. Going ahead with some dishes over here I gotta do. I'm not gonna do them right now. I just wanted to get that out of my way. But there's a lot of good movies I came across this week, and it's been really hard. I've been really searching. I'm going to tell you guys about these great horror films that I found. And they're not, like, really, really scary. They're kind of like psychological thrillers. I usually look for horror films. I don't usually look for thrillers. So I guess that's kind of what's been helping me out here. But we'll start off with Thomas Jane on Netflix. The film is called 1922. Very interesting film. There are horror elements to it, but it's definitely like a psychological thriller. And it's really interesting seeing life in 1922 um, and what, you know, crime and punishment meant back then. What was the police investigation like back then? What were the laws like back then? It's kind of frightening to consider, um, you know, the lack thereof of, you know, the social safety that we kind of take for granted sometimes in our society. So a horror film or a psychological thriller that takes place in 1922 is a great setting. And I like Thomas Jane a lot. I think Thomas Jane is an actor who hasn't had a lot of chances to really show everything he can do. You guys might know him because he was basically like the original Punisher. Not like Dolph Lundgren Punisher. I guess that's like the original, original Punisher. But he was a Punisher. I believe he had two films. Um, and when the MCU came along, you know, he was swapped out and they didn't keep him as a Punisher. I never had a problem with him as the Punisher. I just think his movies um, that he were in weren't weren't that great. And he's kind of had kind of always had these these problems. I once liked him a lot for the idea um, of him being my Connor McCloud if I ever did a Highlander film. When I did my Highlander script, he was one of the actors I thought about a lot, along with a few other actors. But seeing him in 1922, I feel like he really gets to go and really get into this character. Um, I definitely hope he at least gets some nominations or something like that for this film. I feel like the Netflix films don't get a lot of attention. And this film I don't think is brand new. I could be wrong. Um, but it definitely slipped past me under my radar. And I was really happy to, that I caught it. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out. 1922 on Netflix. Um, you know, if you hate horror films, it's not like super scary. But um, definitely an interesting film. So looking around at different films, Stephen King's been somebody my wife has kind of been encouraging us to get into. And it's hard with me with Stephen King because well, Stephen King's amazing. Um, I love Creep Show 2. That's something else I watched recently. Um, Creep Show 2 is an amazing classic film, and a lot of people haven't seen it. So that's awesome. If you've never seen Creep Show 2, check it out. I don't really remember Creep Show 1, and Creep Show 3 was not good. Um, but you know, with Stephen King, he writes books, so he writes short stories, and then other companies typically adapt his stuff, and he's not always involved. Um, I'm not even sure if he's really good at making films. It's really a different medium. 
So it really takes a special person or a team to come along and understand his book and then understand how to make it, you know, into a movie or a TV show. Um, but Mr. Harrigan's Phone, that's something else on Netflix right now. I like this movie a lot. It's It was one of those times I'm watching a movie and end of it, I say to myself, wow, that was just a good movie. I don't know what genre it really falls into. I guess you have to call it horror. Um, but really, it was just a good story, a story you would want to hear someone just tell you, right? So the genre doesn't matter so much. The beginning of the film is a little slow, and they're setting up a lot of characters. Um, and that can be kind of boring, especially if you don't know there's going to be a payoff. But the payoff, I thought, was really good. I think when you look at, um, you know, back in, I guess, the 70s or the 80s, we think about a lot of things that we thought were scary or people thought were scary at the time. And then it's hard, it seems, for writers to come up with new ideas for our generation or our day and age. And one of them is cell phones. Writers have tried to make horror films that somehow go around cell phones. And they're usually really cheesy or have some ridiculous idea or are really kind of out of touch with what the technology could or couldn't do. Or is a ghost in your phone doing ghost things. Um, Mr. Harrigan's Phone is a very interesting film. It has a lot to say, and it has a different take on what you might think would obviously happen here. And it hits home in a way where I was asking myself questions throughout the whole film. I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I thought it could go lots of different ways. At the end, you know, I think what really mattered was the story about the people that were involved. And you don't see that a lot in a horror film. You don't see that a lot of people that have, like, you know, heart, and you care about the characters, and you care about what they're going through. Um... That's something I thought was really, really great with this film. So I can't recommend it enough. It doesn't have the greatest reviews on like Rotten. And people kind of said that it was like a, like a tired and a lot of like cliches, like a real standard film. I have to completely disagree. The performances were great. Donner Sutherland plays Mr. Um, Mr. Harrigan. And uh, a young actor who plays the main character, I don't know his name by heart. I actually probably have it right here in front of me. Um, Jaden Martell. I've seen him in a few other things. But... um. Yeah, he was he was really good in this film. And again, you know, if you get past the, the first maybe 20 minutes where it's kind of slow and get into it, it's definitely a film worth watching. And honestly, you know, the, the kind of the social commentaries it has about cell phone usage and what it does to people and everything like that kind of, you know, lends itself to the fact that some people aren't going to make it through the first 20 minutes, right? Because you want to start reaching for your phone and um, trying to, you know, look away. That That's bring me an interesting sidebar. I tried to show my son... Pirates of the Caribbean Part 1. And my wife mentioned it. It was a good film. We thought, yeah, you know, he hasn't seen a lot of these films. And Pirates of the Caribbean Part 1 is a classic. Jenny Depp is phenomenal in that film. It's one of his best films ever. Um, he really carries it. He carries it the same way Robert Downey carries Iron Man and, and the MCU as a whole. Um, that movie works completely because Johnny Johnny Depp. He makes the whole situation fun. Um, his lines, his acting, everything he does is just, is just spectacle. A lot of no, you don't need CGI. You just got him being extremely charming and funny, and kind of you know, um, you know, outwitting you when you're watching it. You don't really know what to expect next from him. And it was such a great film. And I'm trying to show it to my son, and he kept grabbing his cell phone. I'm like, man, you're, like, you're missing the jokes. You're missing the subtleties. You're missing the small things that he's doing that are really funny and charming. And if you let that happen, you can really get into it. But um, we didn't end up making it through the whole film. He wasn't really into it. And that's that's a shame, a shame because that franchise as a whole, I can't vouch for every single film. I don't think I've seen all of them. But it's definitely some fun, especially like maybe the first two or three films I think are pretty fun. I don't know if I've seen all the other ones. I think they did five altogether. But that's another one, you know, worth going back to check out.
Um, another classic film that I looked into recently was Attack on Kill the uh, the Attack of the Killer Clowns. Right? Yeah, the Attack of the Killer Clowns. That is a, an amazing movie. It really just has so many great ideas that still haven't been touched on. You know, you see somebody like have like a a film where there's someone with an axe. So the next, you know, film, the bad guy has a hammer. The next film, somebody has a chainsaw. Um, the Attack of the Killer Clowns, I don't want to give it away if you guys haven't seen it. But it's it's its own thing. And no one's really copied it ever since. And it's kind of crazy. The film is like 30, 40 years old, I feel like. And it still stands on its own. You're watching it. It's a lot of spectacle. It's a lot of fun. It has, you know, elements I can see from modern movies where, like, sometimes there's a scene that's just funny because they wanted to do something funny to break up the monotony of, like, the scary thing. And it might not even make sense, but they don't care, you know? And it's just... um, But then there's there's also interesting parts where they examine the killer clowns and what what they are and how they work. And I don't want to give any of it away. But there's a lot of thought put into it for a film that's, again, such such an older genre. Back then, a lot of films were just, you know, doing slasher films and stuff like that. I think The Killer Clowns is a lot more clever and a lot more fun than many films that came out in that era and definitely still holds up today. I saw that they are planning on making a video game for it um, that's supposed to come out, I believe, this year. And it looked pretty good. It's like an isometric horror game. Or basically, you know, somebody plays as a clown or a team of clowns. And then other people play as like teenage survivors trying to not die. Uh, those games are kind of okay. I kind of wish that they had more of like a story mode or something like that. Because those games depend on humans to play with. And you depend on those humans to, you know, either be good or play in a fun way. And not like exploit some kind of glitch or something like that. Um, it can be really frustrating. The last kind of game I played like that was based on Predator. While the game pretty much worked well um, and did everything I guess it was supposed to do, you know, it just kind of sucked that sometimes you couldn't be the predator and just go around, you know, killing computer characters, having to always play against people who are trying to do all these like tactics to work in a video game kind of can break you out of the, you know, the the movie experience of you fighting some soldiers. Because they always come up with like some weird things. I remember one time I was playing a game and like people like all got in this one room and they were shooting through the roof of the room. And that was shooting me because apparently there was like a glitch in the game. And I didn't know about that yet. Um, yeah, and, and like they had figured it out and they were doing that. And it just kind of takes the fun out of the game where you're like, oh, you guys are like researching, you know, what's wrong with the game or how to exploit the game to to beat me. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here wasting my time trying to play this game with you as a predator. It really kind of takes it out of it, but there's no other mode to play. You have these going to like the next match and hope you find people who just want to legit you know, have a fair one-on-one, you know, whatever the, you know, you ever you expect that regular, you know, rules of the game to be, basically. So, hopefully that game would be interesting, the Attack and Killer Clowns, but I don't know about it, and I haven't seen anything on, like, their Twitter or social media for the last few months. So, maybe they're just locked in and putting on the finished touches, or maybe it's going to get pushed back. I don't know. A lot of things are getting pushed back because it's writer's strike. It looks like the actor's about to go on the strike. They might join the writers in the writer's strike, um, and it's, that's pretty troubling. Um, I mean, this is for us as fans, we're going to hit a drought where there's just nothing to talk about. And I feel like already in entertainment, there's a lot less to talk about. I'm, I'm digging through movies from the 80s. I'm digging through, you know, movies on Netflix that aren't being featured. I'm looking for like the the, the hidden gems. And um, it's a shame. 
I mean, on the other hand, that kind of segues into the amazing time I'm having with Fortnite. It's a lot of work. It's been very, very grueling. Again, 4 a.m., I'm probably going to get four hours of sleep doing triple duty, working my job, um, doing the podcast, working on Fortnite Creative, and then also, you know, doing a dad thing, actually. So that's like quadruple duty. Um, trying to get it all done, trying to keep it together. I was actually reading my daughter a bedtime story tonight, which I don't always do. It's called Patient Ninja. Um, you know, Samurai here. I love, you know, Samurai the Ninja and Samurais and Ninja stuff and all that kind of stuff. It's something that I've always grew up with. My mother, actually, was the one who bought her the book. My mom did a lot of martial arts when she was younger. It's kind of been this thing, even though we're Latino, it's always been this thing where, like, you know, I guess I don't know how much you call it, participating in the culture or just enjoying the martial arts. Um, but it's been something that we've always been motivated by. I was raised in it, and my daughter, to some other degrees, being raised in it. And she got this series of books. It's like 12 different, like, principles. And they're all told the stories of these, like, different ninjas. So there's Clumsy Ninja. There's Calm Ninja. There's Patient Ninja. There's Funny Ninja. He does, like, stand-up comedy. And it's really cute. They're all, like, different colors. And it's just, like, simply drawn kind of ninjas. They tell these important stories. And it was interesting that the book she picked today was Patient Ninja. Um, and some of the things I felt like were like speaking right to me, right? I'm like reading it to her, but I'm the one getting the lesson here. Um, and one of it was, you know, yes, when you're doing something, you're working on a craft. He wanted a fidget spinner, like a ninja star fidget spinner. And after he learned how to be patient, you know, he realized he had to, you know, take his time um, while he could, you know, rush to finish it. It could um, get done and be okay. But if he took his time, it could be the best possible. And at the end of the story... Him and Common Ninja, because Common Ninja is the one who's teaching him how to be patient. Um, you know, he, he makes the best fidget spinner. And um, everyone else's fidget spinner was pretty good. But his was was the best, basically. Him and Common Ninja just made it as perfect as possible. And I've been feeling a lot of pressure recently with the Fortnite creative community. Because there's a lot of people, whenever there's money, they're going to come out the woodworks. And I'm, I'm here for money, too. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 got, I got interested. I got off the bench because the money got involved. I'd always played with Fortnite Creative, but I started taking it serious when I thought, okay, I might be able to make some money off of this. Um, but people are coming out, you know, putting out really cheap things. Um, I was actually kind of upset. My daughter played one today where, like, it was just a, um, a 3D model of Gremis from McDonald's. I guess they used the Unreal Engine and got the model in the game. And it was like, how long can you survive the Gremis effect? And there's a timer on the TV screen, and Grimace is kind of looking at you, kind of being silly. And kids are sitting there, I guess, thinking, like, well, how long, like, what's supposed to happen? Nothing happens. The timer just keeps going. And the reason that happens is because, you know, Epic pays people based on how much, how long people are in your maps, how much, how engaged they are. So my daughter was there about 45 seconds until I looked over and said, you know, what is that? And um, she explained, like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, there's nothing to do. I can't do anything. I'm just sitting here and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to survive the Grimace effect. And I realized what it was. Like, yeah, get out of there. Then there was another game called Pig. Same thing. Nice new CGI model, a 3D model brought in using the Unreal Engine just to basically run a timer. and have the kid look at this model and, like, run out the time. Um, so that was kind of a bummer, seeing that people were flooding the market with stuff like that. But it's to be expected. And hopefully, I'm sure Epic will figure out some ways to crack down on those things, give us better ways to report them and stuff like that. Because um, these, these maps are featured. These maps look like they were on the front page, at least. I don't know. My daughter also digs around, so maybe she found them somewhere else. Um, then there was a whole new story section, which was kind of interesting, 
which pretty much like short storybooks inside of Fortnite. And people are using the Unreal Engine to like tell these stories one way or the other or have like little 3D models and stuff. So like interactive books. I had no problem with that. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, it was cool that they, Fortnite created a whole other category for it. So they obviously acknowledged that content was there and, you know, made a space for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's more and more places, more and more things to do, which is great for Fortnite people. But as a map maker now, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, who's going to play my map, right? And everyone's playing all these other maps. You know, the, the pressure starts to kind of sink in and start messing with you, especially where I think I'm actually like 200 hours into this map, which is insane, which is not my intention. But every time I'm doing it, I can think of one more thing that can make it just a little bit better. Um, and typically, you put a map out and you build on it. But I really didn't want to do that with this first one, at least this like real big one, because I wanted to really come out and make a statement about what I can do, um, the kind of experiences I could put together. And really me is just kind of leaning in on my writing experience and my directing experience, understanding that kind of camera eye that I have as a director, um, trying to create an experience players can go through over and over and over again and have lots of fun. Um, so hopefully that's what the map is going to do. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much everything I got for you guys this week. I know this is like a, a shorter, condensed version of it. I don't want to leave you guys with nothing. Uh, no music of the week. Those are pretty much the movies of the week. And um, there's a bunch of other rumors and stuff like that with the MCU and Marvel. But really, it just takes some time for, you know, those things to pan out and see where we're going. Because I saw like Blade, I don't think, comes out to like 2025. And that's insane because I was looking forward to it. I thought it was going to come out in February. But I think it doesn't come out to like next, next year, which is sad. I believe that was also impacted by the writer's strike. So we do have the Marvels to look forward to. I'm watching Agents of, uh, or, you know, the Secret, Secret Invasion right now, which is a very, very slow burn. I really think Marvel has to do something better about making episodes that hook you and bring you in, just like their movies. I think the current formula right now is this whole wait till next week, wait till next week, wait till next week. And at the very end, there's something there to watch. Well, that tells me, you know, unsubscribe, um, come back in here in a month or two, and then binge these shows in one week. Um, I think that's a really bad formula. If you're not going to give us, uh, you know, all the shows that wants to binge, at least week to week, give me something every episode that makes the episode satisfying. I think this was the shortest episode yet for Secret Invasion. And while I did have like one or two cool CGI moments, um, overall for the story, you know, eh, it was okay. It just wasn't, I didn't feel like, again, that anything really important happened in this episode. I feel like I could wait for the next episode. And I know there's a little twist at the end. Again, I feel like it's a cliffhanger. I feel like it's not going to matter. And like next week, you know, it's just bait. I don't feel like it's anything real. And that's kind of the feeling I get from a lot of these shows. On It's like they don't feel like there's any stakes involved. Um, watching the What If cartoon, which I really enjoyed, there wasn't much from the What If cartoon they ended up making it into, you know, the, the the Marvel movies so far, at least, that made any of it feel like it was really something you had to watch. And all the TV shows have kind of also taken that that um same, you know, effect to it. It feels like you, know, you don't have to watch them. So it was kind of getting to that point where it's like, well, why watch them? It's because you're saying they're tied in. doesn't mean they're tied in. And um, you see this a lot from a lot of movie companies. That DC was actually doing this kind of stuff. I didn't like when DC would do a whole movie and have Wonder Woman show up for two seconds at the end and then say, like, oh, it's connected. Like, that's that's not really interesting storytelling. I think if you watch something like Harry Potter, for example, all these characters are involved. There's all people doing things. Um, and if you look at the MCU overall, there's been a lot of that. But so far, this next phase of them introducing all these new characters and all of them not really being connected and stuff, it just seems like a very, 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 very long way around 
um, getting to something that's supposed to happen. I think Kang doesn't come out for three years. And part two of Kang doesn't come out for four years. That is ridiculous. I cannot imagine um, what's going to happen over that time. There's going to be so many other things. But, you know, you guess you cannot wait for them to find other things to do. But I think we're going to have a big, long drought. So it's hot out there. You guys stay cool. Get to a pool if you can. Um, enjoy yourselves. I'm Sammy Rye. Thank you guys so much for rocking with me this week. Peace.